Hey everyone, it's Erin with The Coloradoan, and this is the fourth episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. If you can't tell by the music, this month's episode isn't about puppies and rainbows. It's again about Fort Collins history and another not-so-fun chapter at that. On July 27th, 1997, almost 20 years ago, it started to rain. Hard. Small, localized storms soaked parts of Fort Collins. The next day, it happened again, but way worse. Heavy rainfall pounded the west and north sides of the city. In total, 10 to 14 inches fell over a 31-hour period and turned Spring Creek, a little creek that runs through town, into a raging river. An estimated $200 million in damages were left in its wake. Basements flooded, the CSU library was devastated, and the worst part, the flood swept through a mobile home park community. Cars washed away in the water, trailers were gone. Some people lost everything, and five women lost their lives. It devastated Fort Collins, and pictures of the standing water, the overturned submerged cars, the mountains of debris, the survivors clinging to each other, they all serve as a reminder that our sweet little city once went through hell. Today, that stretch of Spring Creek just west of South College Avenue that was hit the hardest looks completely different. In 1997, just off the creek, there was the Johnson Center Mobile Home Park. There's a water marker along the creek that's huge. I'm 5'9", no shrimp, and standing at its feet one July morning, I had to dunk my head back and look all the way up to see where the water reached that fateful night in 1997. And just across Spring Creek Trail, there's a statue of four people, two men, a woman, and a small child, decked in life jackets, trying to survive. How could this have happened? It's Spring Creek, not some raging, crazy river. And how did it happen so fast? When I do a podcast episode or any kind of historical story, my first stop is always old newspapers. You read the stories from when something happened, right? A building went up or an award was given out to someone. It's kind of a little record of history. And with the purpose of chasing down that history, I always look at something else. In small text, just above the story, there's always a little name. It's easy to miss and most people never look, they don't care. But it's the name of the person that wrote that story. It's a byline. And the one on most of the Colorado and Spring Creek flood stories was Kevin Vaughn. I went to work at the Colorado in July of 1989, and I was there until the fall of 1997, so a little over eight years. I've talked to Kevin for a podcast once before. He reported on the investigation into the murder of Fort Collins woman, Peggy Hetrick, in the 80s and 90s. And now he works in Denver at Nine News as an investigative reporter. But on July 28, 1997, he was just trying to get through his night shift as a reporter at the Coloradoan. And in those days, uh, on some some days when I had, you know, my work enough under control, I would actually go home for dinner. I would take my dinner break and go home and eat. And so I had gone home. I lived on the west side of town at that time, and I had gone home and had dinner with my family, and it was raining 
I'd have to look back to tell you exactly what time that was, but it was raining, and as I was heading back toward the office, um, you know, in the early evening after eating dinner with my family, the rain just really intensified, and I remember I think I was driving on Shields, and it was just, you know, really pouring, and I don't think, I don't think at that point, you know, I realized that, you know, what was to come, but it but the, I remember the rain was really, really hard, and I, I got back to the office, and and over the next couple of hours, we started to get, you know, reports of street flooding, and then flooding along Spring Creek, and and stuff like that. But it was, it still wasn't, it still didn't take on that sense of of, you know, just how serious it what really was until a little later in the evening. I think around the time it was getting dark. This seems to be a common theme. A lot of people didn't seem to know how serious of a turn things were going to take that evening. At Colorado State University, where videos show water eventually breaking windows, washing through doors, and soaking textbooks, computers, and more in the university's library, there were two police officers on duty. One of them is Chris Wolf, who's now an emergency management specialist for the city of Fort Collins. And I have to apologize here. My recorder and I have a love-hate relationship, and in this moment, I hate it. There's a weird ringing noise, so please try to tune that out if you can. All right. Well, I was working uh, night shift, and uh, our night shifts were 12 hours long, so they were from uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So I came in for work, and the person that I was working with, there were only two of us on duty that night, person I was working with, we decided to go over to uh, Woody's Pizza, which is no longer there, and have some dinner. And we're sitting there having dinner, and I just kind of casually made the comment that it was really raining hard, Mm -hmm. you know, not really realizing what we would be in for the rest of the night. Um, Probably one of my first calls, it it was over to Environmental uh, Health building over on Lake Street, which was a lake that night. Um, I I remember stepping out of my car into water um, way past the top of my boots by then. Uh, There was a car coming down Lake Street. It was like a Toyota 4Runner, and I I shouted at the guy, I don't think you want to drive through there. They said, oh, this thing will go anywhere, and of course he got stuck out in the middle of of, uh, the street. Uh, then things started getting kind of crazy. Um, my mother-in-law was watching my son, who was about two years old at the time. Um, actually, the next day was his birthday, July 29th, so we were getting ready to celebrate his birthday. But um, my wife had gone to uh, some type of a, uh, gathering over in Windsor with a friend of hers. So my mother-in-law called me, and I at the time I lived over on swallow and Dunbar and she said your basement is starting to fill up with water so that you know then you you kind of get that tug of well I really need to go home and take care of that but I'm working so I started to drive that way and the roads were already starting to become pretty well impassable so I I called her back and, and basically told her that now, there was no way I could come home, and she was just going to have to deal with it mm-hmm. the best she could. 
According to Chris, there were about 1,500 to 2,000 students on campus for a Christian conference, and they were having an event in Moby Gym on the west side of campus. Like I said, it was kind of a really crazy night after that. Um, we were dealing with all the people in the, in the gym. Um, we had some of our, uh, our campus service officers in the library, and that started filling up with water. The student center started filling up with water. People were trapped in their cars, um, like in the engineering lot. So it was, it was just really crazy. It was entirely too close a call for the staff who were here. It had six staff people in the game room, and they were mopping up water as it trickled into the building. And then uh, they couldn't see the water rising on the door because it was dark outside. But they knew that there was too much water, and they got out and missed the doors blowing in by a matter of seconds. That's Martha Blood, the Lori Student Center director at the time. In a video put together by the university, she's talking about what it was like that night as video of water rushing through the university building plays. Next, you're gonna hear an interview with Camilla Allier, the Dean of Libraries. The library was hit the hardest on campus with the books and equipment being completely trashed. We had some facility staff and students that were down there uh, Monday night when when it was leaking and they were out there, they were down there moving materials and trying to keep stuff uh, away from the leakage and then they heard the wall groan and they literally took off and, and ran up the stairs. As they were running up the stairs, the wall caved in. And so I think we have to count our lucky stars and be blessed that, um, that these, none of these students, staff or facilities folks were injured or, or uh, that we didn't incur any deaths. Camilla is right there. CSU, though it saw so much damage, was able to rebuild. Nobody lost their lives on campus that night. But about a mile away, where South College Avenue passes over Spring Creek, it was a different story. Steve Fleming was having dinner at a friend's house that evening. At the time, he was a captain with Pooter Fire Authority. He's since retired and runs a safety and rescue training company out of Fort Collins. At the time, he was known to wear several hats. Along with being a captain, he was on both the dive rescue team and the hazardous material response team. And after seeing how serious the rain was getting, he and his buddies from PFA called in. And we started hearing that LeMay is closed at Spring Creek, and we still were like, they must mean the pooter. I mean, Spring Creek, seriously, just before that, you could step over. So as it turns out, one thing leads to another, and we start to realize it's a big deal. So when I called in, they said, yes, we need all hands on deck. We need a full three alarm. This is a full response. And we also need you to bring every personal flotation device you have. So I'm responding down college from Drake. And I come over the hill and I couldn't believe it. When I first got there, there was this um, little feller. He was hanging on a tree, right? I mean, seriously, it wasn't... 30 feet from the parking lot of the gas station, right in front of the uh, auto repair store. And he was yelling for help, and there was a news media, I knew Gary Croshaw at the time, they had extension cords, they had everything they could to try and get to him. I look over to the right and I see that one of the dive rescue team members had essentially um, been launched out of the boat, They're the double-ended inflatables, 
and was hanging on the street light. I look around on the engines on the other side and there um, you could hear people yelling for help. This is when I just got there. I hadn't even had a chance to get the you know, our personal flotation device out or anything. <clears throat> I have some audio radio footage that was pretty amazing because we had explosions over at the laundromat. We had trailers off of their foundation washing down. We had uh, propane tanks going down. We had cars, vehicles. We had two trailers on fire across the way. We had people seriously hanging in the water ready to let go. We look down and I see that the fire station is now flooded. Real quick, he's talking about the fire station over at the nearby Spring Park, by the way. Um, it was emergency sensory overload. It seriously was indeed the most amazing event that I ever had been through. I've never been through anything like it altogether. I've been through swift water rescues. I've been through trailer fires. We've worked with train derailments. We've worked with explosions. We work with the scene evaluation of having people yelling for help and evaluating what and who we can get to first, but never within 20 minutes, all at once. And the level's still going up. People stopped, trapped in the median down there. Okay, I'm not worried about the median right now because we got people worse over here. In the trailer? In the trailers. It was a night of terror at a trailer park. A bizarre combination of flood and fire made a hellish nightmare for both residents and rescuers. This is the audio from Nine News' footage of the flood. As rescuers descended on the Johnson Center mobile home park, so did news crews, and they captured images of people hanging onto trees, rescuers pulling people into inflatable rafts, and survivors gathering in a nearby Chuck E. Cheese recounting their stories. I was asleep and I woke up and everything was floating away. Fighting the fire had to wait while rescue crews evacuated residents from the trailer park. And all of a sudden it just went to our doorstep. They fought chest-deep water and a swift current to bring people to safety. Sarah Piskey was carried through the floodwaters. Her husband Ivor was rescued in a rubber raft. <laughs> you know, I had to go out that front window with that awing over it. was kind of hard. I was on top of the bed. I didn't want to leave. I was watching all the fires burn, and I asked the Lord to stop the fires. Firefighters had to hook a hose to a submerged hydrant before they could get water on the fires. They think gas lines broke when the trailers floated and that a spark set off an explosion. It was amazing because you could hear everything. You could see the flames, you could hear the fire, you could hear the chaos, you could hear people scream, screaming, and then the radio traffic said that the train has just derailed. And now it was just, I mean, we had to do, it was that famous, you get a feeling in your stomach that um, this is extremely high risk. Fleming details a night of hell. He and another firefighter were in the water bringing people to safety, including a little boy who was stranded on the roof of a shed near his family's duplex. The water was full of debris and propane, and as trailers were washing away, their metal skirting was too, and it ended up shredding a lot of the rescuers' inflatable rafts. So that night was rather interesting, exhausting, and um, we ended up regrouping in the morning, and the next day was really, that was extremely dramatic to me, because then the aftermath. 
and the water was down to nothing. The little creek again, and we could not believe the devastation. As the flooding subsided, the horror of July 28th turned into the morning of July 29th. Five women had been killed in the flood, and people were learning of those fatalities. 47-year-old Joanne Roth was swept away by the powerful current as she was trying to hang on to her husband, who was clinging to a tree in their mobile home park. 72-year-old Rosemarie Rodriguez was with another victim, 48-year-old Estefana Guaranos, at the time of the flood. Guaranos's boyfriend had them both by the arms and was trying to carry them to safety. A wave of water came and carried them away. Sarah Payne, 62, was trying to carry her infant granddaughter to safety when she lost her footing and disappeared underwater. Her body was found almost two miles downstream, but her granddaughter was rescued and survived. And Cindy Scholes, the youngest victim, was 32 years old. She was a manager at Fort Collins Outdoor World, a local sporting goods store. She was also the only victim who didn't live in a mobile home. She lived in a small white bungalow on Remington Street instead and had stayed behind after rescue workers told her to evacuate because she didn't want to leave her and her roommate's pets. By the time she tried to leave, her front yard was a river and though two neighbors tried to help her, she was swept away. So I'm driving over Spring Creek onto Remington Street and the little houses. And there's 1815. Cindy Scholes' little home is still there, but just down the road west of College Avenue on Spring Creek, the scene is completely different. A photo on a plaque at the creek shows a raging river full of overturned cars. Now it's a creek again. With the trail running alongside it, bikes whiz by on a summer day and people go on leisurely walks there. The trailers are gone, but a statue's there instead, a memorial for the flood victims and survivors. And then there's this huge thing sticking out of the ground just by the water. And the water was, oh my God. So there's this marker. Never look too closely at this. And it has July 28th, 1997, and a level for how high the water was, and it's, it's like two of me. Wow. A lot of things changed that day. And with the 20th anniversary coming up in about two weeks, I just wanted to take a little time to talk about what the Coloradoan has planned. I started this podcast with a reporter named Kevin, and I'm ending it with one. Meet Kevin Dugan. He started at the Coloradoan in 1997 and was called into the newsroom the night of the flood. No one really knew how bad it would be back then, but for the past 20 years while working at the Coloradoan, Dugan has been able to learn more than anyone about it. Well, I have a couple of stories. Uh, the, the main bar is going to be about the... Um, the things that came out of the flood in terms of a program called COCORAS, which stands for... Colorado? Co- no, no, Community Collaborative Rain... There's an H in there. Hail yeah. and Snow okay. Study. So anyway, it's based out of the Colorado Climate Center at CSU. 
and what this does is um, uh, has on the ground volunteer people do daily measurements of rainfall, snowfall, hail, that sort of thing. Um, anyway, this program was born out of the flood because Nolan Duskin, who at the time was the assistant state climatologist, wanted to understand what happened that night. Wanted to understand the, the tremendous variance in rainfall across the city. And so he just put out a call and, and actually hired some high school kids who went door to door and they gathered data. And from that came this understanding of the flood event itself. And then he thought, well, let's expand this. Let's First it became big in Larimer County, then statewide, and now it's across the country and even in other countries. For Kevin's story on the flood and its implications these two decades later, check coloradoin.com later this month. And that's it for this episode of The Way It Was. Thanks so much for listening again, guys. I'll catch you next month.